there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. In the comfortable place between Christmas and New Year's, advanced medicine must continue. And Dr. Batar is not taking the day off. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> happy, happy, uh, whatever the in-between time it is. Yeah, it's actually a really nice time. I, I like the time between Christmas and New Year's only because everybody is, most people are off. You know, it's a time you can get a lot of work done. I wish it was the one part of the year that could just last forever. I, I'm in agreement with you. It is a special time. It's like one of the few times where I feel like, even though I'm not totally unplugged, that I feel more relaxed because a lot, a lot of expectations are lowered from everybody because we're distracted into that holiday mode. And it's, uh, you know, it's like, what, what do we got to do to figure that thing out to make that last for sure? Exactly. And it's, it's always a period where there's, it's not a reaction period. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not a react, like a period where you're reacting all the time. You're in a, proactive state and no matter how slow you go you're still faster than everybody else <laughs> yeah that's interesting <laughs> in between yeah that is very funny but uh anyway it, like i said it's a good time people are kind of you feel like the energy sort of shifts uh this transition at least you know even if it's only a mental and emotional thing it's very important and you, you start looking forward in a sense to say hey how can we create our future anew whether it's well, we know the reality is that it can be done at any time, but more energy is put toward that at this time of the year than any other. So this is the time of the year where we get to kind of, uh, I guess, just just forget the old stuff and move to the creating anew. We're looking forward to the new year, and this is where people focus that energy on that creative power, which we do know we have all of the time, but it's more emphasized at this time of the year. Yeah, the emphasis of the renewed birth, and that's why people do the New Year's resolutions. I think it's the one part of the year where everybody's motivated to make that change and the key is of course to be able to sustain it and continue it throughout the year but uh, it is a period that at least in my patient population i always re-emphasize the nine steps and remind people this is a time for you to add on one additional component of each of the nine steps because as you know in the book we have multiple different things that people can do for each step so my whole point has always been do at least one component for each of the nine steps. And if you can't do that, then just do one component of one of the steps and then add an additional component of each step until you have one component from each of the nine steps incorporated, then start adding a second component, then the third component, fourth component, et cetera, et cetera. Because too much at one time is always obviously always overwhelming. So the old adage of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time <laughs> yes. is the same type of thing. Well, and that's the thing about the New Year's resolution. Sometimes it, it, suddenly people get delusions of grandeur and think that they can transform their whole lives in one day. And although I'm not saying it's never been done, it's very much the uh, exception rather than the rule. Most people have to do that one bite at a time scenario. Yeah, and I think that even if you are successful at changing everything all at one time, the problem is that it's such a rapid and significant shift that what goes up must come down type of scenario. It's too much, and so you can't sustain it. You can't maintain the momentum. It's almost like a sprint. 
And it's much better. If it's a person can sprint and continue with that sprint, that's fine, but it's generally not realistic. And I'd much rather a person just start walking and get used to the walking and then maybe a jog and then get up to the sprints. But if you just start sprinting, you can't sustain that sprint throughout the whole year. And, you know, it's a lot better to do something slowly and steadily as the tortoise or the tortoise in the hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Versus a hair that sprints and then and then is exhausted and, and can't go anymore. Yeah, exactly. No, this is this is good. Now, we've over the years together, uh, we love talking about transformation of consciousness, shifts that occur. And I was thinking, you know, what what kind of shift could be occurring, even though, uh, you know, people are still getting vaccinated, people still believe or perceive that vaccines actually do what they claim to do in terms of preventing disease when we acknowledge that they actually create more harm than good that they might claim to do. Uh, There is an interesting story here that we can wrap up the year and kind of move toward with a little bit more light on this subject matter. Our good friend uh, Sayer G from Green Med Info spotlighted a new published article in the journal vaccine it talks about multiple infant vaccines are linked to dramatically increased mortality and in layman's terms it means uh if you take one vaccine okay but if you start combining one to two to three at the same time suddenly mortality goes up exponentially it reminds me of some of the things that you've said over the years here like about lds lethal dose what's ld50 ld1 uh and you said how ld1 and ld1 of one thing and another add together equals LD50 or 100. I mean, it's just exponential, and I think they're acknowledging this for the first time. Yeah, and so that in that example that you just gave, it's LD1 of mercury and the LD1 of lead together in the same patient population as an LD100, meaning it'll kill all 100 people out of that group. And I find most interesting about this particular article is that it was published in a mainstream vaccine journal. It's not published in a... Uh, anti-vaccine publication, but it's actually in the mainstream vaccine journal. But did you say it's called the Journal of Vaccines? Yeah, it's called Journal Vaccine, and and of course, Green Med Info does a lot of uh, let's say scouring of the medical literature to do articles that you'll never see in the mainstream media. Right? If they're going to cover this, they'll ignore the finding and and. They probably actually not report on this at all because it's it's pretty damning to the idea of more vaccines are better. One of the stories we covered in 2015 here, wrapping it up, is uh, the fact that uh, Mississippi, I believe, has the highest infant mort uh, yes highest infant mortality rate. But does that correlate because they also have the highest vaccine compliance rate, like 99.7 percent of all children entering kindergarten, and they also have the highest autism rate. Yes, exactly. And you start putting those things together, and it's like, how long can you keep that under wraps? And here's another example. Although, you know, you will not probably see this article in the mainstream media, we will acknowledge that you can find it and you can go yourself and see it in the publication of a mainstream, mainstream journal here. This is a medical journal. This is not, uh, you know, some alternative news site, although the coverage is coming from what's considered an alternative news site. Well, it would be most interesting to see what the pro-vaccine groups, uh, how they would try to address this or acknowledge, um, you know, what's being said. I'm sure they're going to detract from the study and create issues or or try to make excuses why they came up with that data. But, I mean, it's anybody who looks at the data objectively, you and I have said this for Mm -hmm. many years, I mean, maybe on the air, five years, six years, but for Easily. decades, yeah, yeah, that there's a there's a clear synergistic destructive component when you put these things together. And uh, 
So I'm just kind of curious how they're going to try to explain this one away. Yeah, and just so you know, one of the conclusions, in, and I'll read the sentence and quote it exactly, it says, in line with previous studies of DTP, that's diphtheria uh, tetanus pertussis combination, the present results indicate that pentavalent vaccine co-administered with the measles vaccine and the yellow fever vaccine is associated with increased mortality. I mean, they're not pulling any punches there. In fact, it lists the, the degree of increased mortality within the body of the observational study so it's pretty damning and, and you know this is the thing like last year in the in the republican primary debates where they tried to pile on uh, uh donald trump for saying that he sees problems with these vaccines that there's uh, mental issues and even uh rand paul who was a physician acknowledged it and then ultimately ben carson neurosurgeon said hey maybe we're given too much too soon they're all acknowledging something that's now validated within the scientific journals how will they continue to be attacked if they bring this up again well, I'm impressed that they are actually bringing it up. Uh, but I guess if they're all on the same sheet of music, then there's probably not too much fallout that they're going to have to deal with. Because if it was just one, maybe the rest would attack. But if there's three or four of them actually talking about the same components and, and acknowledging that there may be an issue, then probably none of them will have any political fallout from it. But it is uh, interesting um, as far as the fact that this is an area that's being emphasized in politics now, whereas maybe 15, you know, even 10 years ago, I don't think people really talked about this. And if you did, you risked political genocide. Yeah, and, well, and, and I don't know where this is going to go in 2016. I'm not going to make predictions on the presidential battle, but I will say, again, a guy like Donald Trump, who seems to be off the hook in terms of uh, nobody's handling him, right? Because typically politicians are very much in a narrow field. You can say this, don't say this, don't go outside this box. And I think, if I can put it this way, spirit demands that more communication happen on things that are supposedly untouchable in previous years. And however it's going to get out there, it's going to get out there. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I think your description of him being handled or having a handler um, it, it's pretty accurate that he doesn't seem to. Um, but again, somebody who is as outspoken as him and, and doesn't have a handler, he may not be something that the puppet masters really want. And so from that perspective, I don't think he's realistically got a chance, even though he may be the leader right now. I don't think that the powers will be will ever let somebody that's as out of control as he <laughs> yes. is, you know, become it. So uncontrollable, as they say. And, and, you know, the thing is, we need more of that uncontrollability because it's it's precisely the controllability, not just of presidential candidates, but of the public at large that has facilitated this acceptance of, of dangerous injections as a standard of care and accepting it as something that is good. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably an accurate statement. I think uh, anybody that the puppet masters can't control is a good thing for society as as a as a whole yeah all right well we're up on our first break here advanced medicine continues remember robertscottbell.com for all of the links each and every week you can go to many of the banners we have linked up including uh if you want to participate in the van vcd.org we've got that linked up so you can publish your data and access it immediately we need more people to do that to get better better uh, uh let's say uh, perspectives on the benefit or detriment of vaccination. We want you to let us know. Go there, check it out. Also, medicalrewind.com is the easiest place to access all of the archives that Dr. Batar and I do here once we are done with the show. They go there, and you can listen in. Hundreds of hours available to you. Back after this. 
Rocking the health world through the power of radio. The Robert Scott Bell Show. If you're engaging in the exercise of a right, remember there is no permission required. And the freedom, the freedom to care for your health without governmental interference, it's been lost. Why has it been lost? How has it been lost? Well, we've got a national case of Alzheimer's disease. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. I mean, what else would you call forgetting the entire history of government on planet Earth? Much less our own American history, which was founded in individual liberty, not government permission for everything, especially our care of our health. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. Yay, it's time for, well, one of our favorite times of the day or week or month. I don't know how often we can do these Is things. 420? No, you're off by like. Uh, Is it, well, it's a can, any, any time of the day that's a, that oh, okay. we get a cannabis update? Of course, not all of the cannabis updates are, are happy stories. And I know we, we talk about the, the pushback against the plant that God created, and of course, the medicinal qualities and nutrient, if we will, properties as well to normalize function, to help us deal with stress, do all the wonderful things we like to do, and how this plant can be of great benefit and how wrongfully it was vilified uh, by uh, not only the medical establishment, but a lot of establishments, a lot of corporations, a lot of industries that said, we we got to keep this stuff off the market. In the meantime, as we re-embrace nature and the natural world, we find that this plant has a lot to offer. And, you know, the recreational use is one out of 25,001 and counting uses. Uh, so whatever for whatever reason you like it, love it. Uh, we appreciate cannabis uh, as a plant that is so good for us in so many ways. Do we have Stuart Tomp back on the program? Not yet. Okay, we're looking forward to hearing from Stuart from Cannabis in a moment. Uh, one of the updates here, if I can look at here, cannabis drug. And I, and I want to ask Stuart about this because he's really up on this. Cannabis drug shows promise in treating schizophrenia. Because this, this story is, is really interesting to me because some people have described when, if they smoke a lot of weed, they get kind of paranoid. Maybe even a split personality develops. And yet that would be the law of similars in homeopathy. We could take the homeopathic form of cannabis and reverse that. But if they're saying they can synthesize it, they're looking like this GW Pharmaceuticals wants to corner the market, perhaps on a synthetic form, I'm not sure, to address as a drug, and this could be dangerous for us here in America, where we embrace the plant as a natural substance that can be ingested as a food, as a supplement to the diet. And that includes the cannabidiol, the CBD, that we utilize here. Many people are using it for pain management instead of resorting to strange and dangerous pain drugs, opiates, etc. Many people are using it to address their anxiety. Whether the companies can say that they're being used for that purposes or not, it's irrelevant on one level that you have the freedom to choose to use this plant and all the wonders that it has for you. So CBD tested in 88 patients with schizophrenia who failed to respond to antipsychotic medications, and they found that uh, there was significant benefit beyond placebo. The only question I have on this, because it doesn't link to the original study, are they looking to use CBD or a synthetic form of CBD. Not clear to me yet in this story. 
Let me see the other story here. This this one is another uh, another tragedy and the thing that makes me not happy when I have to do these cannabis updates, but perhaps by spotlighting and highlighting them, we can point out the wrongs that are being done to our veterans, for instance, who are coming back disfigured, dismembered, in pain, injured, PTSD, etc. And the only option, by and large, the VA is offering is the pain pills that we talk about that are destroying their liver, their kidneys, their digestive system, causing them to move into addiction and not addressing anything along with the uh, inflammation that is so present in the bodies of these veterans. And here's a story out of uh, Cannabis Now magazine about a veteran of the Vietnam War who was denied pain medication just last week because he tested positive for cannabis. Gary Dixon, a 65-year-old disabled vet who has experienced decades of health problems after being exposed to Agent Orange. Thank you very much, Pentagon and DuPont. Monsanto was told by his doctor at the Veterans Administration that he could no longer receive painkillers because a drug test determined that he had cannabis in his system. How disgusting is that? Utilizing a plant for pain management and now... He can't get the pain meds or other things that he needs, the services he needs, because our government, if we can call it that, has deemed it fit to declare it a scheduled substance that has no value, only danger, only addiction. When the science is overwhelming, in this case certainly, that it has great value, that it is not addictive, and that it can reverse so many things that their drugs are not reversing, but are making worse. You got to read this story again. My heart goes out to him, his family, and to all the vets out there suffering not only PTSD but pain disorders, other things that the VA is failing miserably. And I can't, you know, blame the doctors and nurses necessarily. The VA they're only uh, able to deliver what the the higher ups in the federal government do, and of course they are bought off once again by the drug industry. So to consider utilizing a non-patented, non-pharmaceutical substance from the natural world, we can't have that. Oh, yeah, we can. And we will. It will change. It is changing. And you're part of that change. One of the ways you can do that is ask your local mom-and-pop health food store to pick up the CBD plus CBD oil from Canavest and get it out to everybody. Be right back. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Another coincidence, perhaps, children playing on uh, recycled rubber matted playgrounds reporting higher incidences of cancer. Is it just, again, another coincidence? Is it just anecdotal? And there's more news stories coming out about this, as even some are calling for senatorial or congressional hearings over this. In fact, senators call for independent crumb rubber, rubber study, turf study, as they call it, uh, because of the concerns about... Well, has the EPA done its homework in relation to these recycled uh, tire playgrounds? And I, I haven't looked into this all that that in all that detail, but it's got to be a mess putting those tires together. It's not just natural rubber. So, what exactly is it, Robert? Is it the synthetic components during the process of uh, making this into a commercializable 
uh, product, or is it uh, you know what what is it? I guess it's the the oil remnants the from the oil manufacturing aspect of the rubber, or what is it? Well, they're really scratching their heads on this because they're saying the EPA is not really done any serious homework, if you will, or studies on this. So it's one of those cases where, like, if you can declare GMO safe and you say, well, have we done the studies? No, but we're just sure it's safe. Why? Well, uh, the manufacturer said it was good, right? And I'm not opposed to the concept of recycling. None of us are. It's just a matter of if you're recycling already toxic substances into things that kids are going to be interacting with, would it not be reasonable to say, hey, maybe we should look into this a little harder before we just blanket say, yeah, recycling is always good? Yeah, it reminds me of something a little bit unrelated, not necessarily recycling related, but if you remember Time Magazine did an article a number of years back where they were talking about the childhood playgrounds where they were using wood that's treated with arsenic. Ah, uh, yes, right, arsenic-laced wood because of the preservative agents that they were using. That's right. Exactly, and uh, and of course the conclusion of that article was, well, children that have been playing on an outdoor playground with uh, exposure to this arsenic should actually be encouraged to wash their hands as if that's going <laughs> to really do anything to, to prevent the what, what they should have been doing was, was providing free doses of arsenicum album homeopathics to start de- the detox process immediately once they're off the playground and then come to see you. And, well, that the, the homeopathic utilization would um, by far be uh, something that would be efficacious compared to what and even somebody even a patient coming to some see somebody like me mm-hmm. the problem is you know you really can't do that on a wide scale basis um there are not that many doctors out there that are actually treating heavy metal toxicity uh so you know you, the use of a homeopathic i i don't see i i can't envision anything more effective on a wide scale level uh, except for maybe the transdermals, you know, for the chelators. Sure. Even then you need that as a prescription. So from a homeopathic standpoint, uh, it, it is the most practical and the most widely accessible right. uh, therapeutic for everybody. But it just made me think about the playgrounds because, again, you talk about the recycle, the recycling of this. Uh, yeah, which uh, they said they, they acknowledge in these pulverized tires do contain carcinogens, uh, and they're even turning this into like fake grass. I haven't seen this, but these green nylon blades of grass also being made from similar substances. Well, they use this in playgrounds though to, to for the, um, the the base, so that if kids fall. The cushioning, yeah, the cushioning exactly. So they're they're using the the tires uh, cut up in that basis. I know, and um, so that way when a child's on the on the monkey bars and they fall or something, you know, they've got some type of uh, something to rebound or bounce off of. But again. What type of exposure are the children getting? That's what made me think of the arsenic-laden right. um, yeah. wood. Well, and this is the thing. It's not, you know, they'll probably plausibly say uh, we are, uh, plausible deniability, that concept is that they could say, well, our turf d- does not cause it because it's not the only thing, right? And, and, and always that concept in medicine, it's one cause, one cure, as if that's really the case in all cases. Although when we've discussed mercury, that is probably the biggest of the causes per se, you know, more than any other heavy metal. Uh, but the reality is that we don't say that other things are not also contributing. That's where we started today with the LD1 plus LD1 equal LD100 and the combination of one vaccine, even though we might disagree with its necessity, might not be as dangerous. In fact, it's not as dangerous as three at the same time, for instance. Right. So if one causes X amount of damage and two causes X amount of damage and three causes X amount of damage, all three together aren't going to cause three X damage. Correct. They're going to be more like four and a half X damage. And and I think that 
there's a interesting component to this is that when we start looking at synergism, whether it be something that's negative or positive. So you could actually look at this from a positive perspective and say, you know, exercise is going to give you such benefit. A diet is going to give you such benefit. And prayer meditation is going to give you uh, X benefit. But if you put them all three together, you're not going to get three X benefit. You're going to get a four and a half X benefit, Mm -hmm. meaning that whether you're not, you're looking at something that's destructive and negative or something that's positive and constructive. I believe that the physiological system, whether it's not just a human, but any type of physiological system has a way of exponentially increasing the benefit or the detriment from the environmental trigger. And, and I think that, um, the more we start to realize this in, in our positions, meaning as healers, or, or people start realizing it uh, from their perspective as consumers, then they realize that it doesn't take that much of doing a couple of good things to really get uh, exponential benefit, far greater than you would expect. I love that concept because it takes that which is often only, uh, let's say, argued in a negative context like what we brought up. The one plus one plus one is not three in terms of the vaccine in- issue or this this playground issue with recycled rubber matting, if you will. It's not that that's the only thing that is of concern because you have a perfectly healthy child otherwise not exposed to toxins and he occasionally plays on a rubber mat. I would not be the one to argue that that would be definitive. Oh, he's definitely going to get cancer. Right. It's a it's it's a little of everything. That's what you know, we talk about. You talked about extensively in the nine steps to keep the doctor away as well. It's not one thing. It's everything. But the positive side of it, the accumulative side, the additive side of it, when you're doing those good things for your health by making that one thing different, if you're starting in the new year or two or, you know, and you get that plus factor in a good way. Right. Because I think the way that the ultimate engineer created our systems, it was to take the outside, and if we do the right things or, or we do the wrong things, we get a greater reward than, than the linear measurement of each one of those things or, or a, a greater detriment, you know. Um, of course, there is a genetic predisposition and a biological individuality, so you can have two people that smoke and one is like George Burns and smokes for 99 years and <laughs> is fine, and then another person, you know, um, looks at a cigarette and ends up getting lung cancer. So there is that component to it. But generally speaking, I think that whether you do something good or something bad and you put multiple bad things together, you put multiple good things together, you're going to get an exponential you know, reward, uh, whether it be a, a reward that you want or a reward, you know, you reap the benefit or you or you pay the consequence either way. Yeah, I've, I've often said in my own learning, if you will, about healing my own body, that when I made the leaps that I did to clean up the food that went into my body, I was paid back exponentially. It wasn't like I just ate one thing and, and I got it was it was and even economically it was fascinating to me how at the time I ate and you know in general they say organic food is more expensive although we can argue that it's the least expensive food on earth when it comes to health and healing uh, compared to the back end of trying not to eat, you know eating things that are just piss poor let me just say it that way are very toxic for you all over the long run that indeed uh, by making the leap by having that perception that belief that you're worthy that you're worth it and making that investment that you are paid a thousandfold in return in fact that you are able to afford things that you thought previously you couldn't afford even if you did the math in your checkbook and said no i can't afford it somehow you made the leap and that you had the same amount left over or maybe even more the abundance began to to sneak into your life because you had that uh, a willingness to take that risk okay i'm going to humor the creator and say i'm worthy Right, you might not even believe it initially, but you go, "I'm going to humor him <laughs> and just try it and see how it pays you back." 
Yeah, and that's a you're talking about it from an emotional, psychological, spiritual level where people end up having this own issue where they think whether they're worthy or not. But you know, if you even take that aside for a second, mm-hmm. you will. And this is one of those universal principles again, similar to that exponential return, whether it be positive or negative. I think this is a, another one of those universal laws. You end up paying the price sooner or later. So you can end up getting, okay, you need a, an addition done to your house. And you get three bids. And one's the cheapest and one's most expensive and one's in the middle of the ground. And you go with the cheapest. Chances are, you know, if the guy is that far under the, everybody else, you're going to end up paying the price in the long run. Because, yeah, you're going to pay less there in the beginning, but then you're going to have more leakage and more foundational issues and more you know, structural issues because you didn't do a good job. So that's one reason I never go with the cheapest, and and I never, you know, I don't usually go for the most expensive, but I usually try to look for the middle of the ground. And I'll tell you, sometimes I've gotten such a great reward, I've I've actually paid more uh, for for something because than I had to because I was so appreciative of the fact that I got something more than I expected. And this is the one of those things where you go to a produce place and you buy something healthy. Um, you may think in the beginning, like you said, you know, I'm not worthy. It's too expensive. I can go to the local grocery store and get something uh, at half the price. But then when you uh, – milk is a perfect example, right? Sure. I used to do this with milk. My kids would get organic milk. My kids have always drank organic milk. My daughter, who's 22, you know, she has never been a milk drinker. But uh, Avi, from, from the, when he was just a, a year old, six months old, when he started drinking milk, he always got organic milk. Now, I myself – drank milk but i never drank the organic milk and it was kind of like what you said you know i don't know whether it was a worthy thing it was just like ah, you know it's it doesn't matter for me i want to make sure he's getting the clean stuff but sure. it's not that big of a deal well and a lot My of parents a lot of parents will do that it, well they'll even do that for their pets sometimes more they'll feed organic oh, food yeah. to their animals and eat garbage themselves without a doubt i've seen that with the horse chiropractors and they've got you know I, I had a i had a patient that came to me and she was actually had to get back she had, she was in a hurry because she had to get back to her horses because she had a chiropractor, no, I'm sorry, acupuncturist coming to treat her a horse. And her biggest complaint was her back pain. And she wasn't <laughs> not taking her. care of it herself. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. But the whole thing is that you start looking at this concept, uh, you know, with the milk example, going back to it, I didn't think it was important. But then I remember I drank some Fabi's milk one day and it tasted so much better. And then I started learning more about the bovine growth hormone and I, I, I guess maybe he was about four or five years old but when I realized that it was about 12 years ago. I stopped drinking anything but organic milk, and I won't touch anything. In fact, that's when we ended up like six years, seven years ago, got our, our own cows and started milking them, et cetera, et cetera. But the point yes. is you go from one extreme to the other, and so you start realizing that, sure, I can think in my mind I'm not worth it. And let's say you don't – I'm not – You know, I'm, my kids are too important and they're too um, – I have to spend more time with my kids, so I'm not going to work out. Well, again, in the book, I tell that story about that guy that came into the middle of the – you know. Um, in, in the middle of the in the night who was too busy taking care of his kids and working and blah, 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 and had sepsis, sepsis because he had a walking pneumonia. I won't go into the story, but it's the same concept as, hey, I'm too busy to work out and my kids are too important, so I'm not going to work out because their schedule is more important. Right, not a good plan, but we do have to take a break, and I'm not too busy to do that because we have to. <laughs> We're going to come back, continue this thought form, and wrap up Advanced Medicine in between holidays edition after this. The Robert Scott Bell Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. 
So if you're not worthy enough, you know, you're too busy. I mean, even for a good reason. I, I, I have people that will take care of everybody else but themselves. It's like, how do you plan to take care of them if they really need it when you're kaput? Because <laughs> exactly. you never took care of yourself. Exactly. That's the thing. That if you really do care about your kids and you're really saying that your kids are that important and their schedule is so important, then you better reward and find time to work out. Otherwise, you're not going to be around to take them to, to their events or whatever it is. And that's the exact point, that if we really want to take care of those that are, we love, we have to remember that the best way for us to take care of them is by us taking care of ourselves. And it comes down to the same aspect from, a, from a, whether it's a dietary aspect or it's a, you know, a, an actionable aspect like working out or, or scheduling or whatever the case is, taking time off um, or, or even like the preventive aspect. It's not always what you think that you're doing from a superficial level that really makes a difference. In fact, more often than not, it's not the superficial. It's usually the deeper uh, more ingrained component that's going to really either reap the you're going to reap the benefit from later on, or you're going to have to pay the consequence for because you didn't do what you were supposed to have done. Right, right. Well, listen, you know, obedience is an interesting term here, and, and part of the theme of what we're kind of talking about from the beginning today is, you know, to whom will you be obedient, right? If we're obedient to the social consciousness, we must get our vaccines. We need to get drugs whenever they say. We need to send our kids to get indoctrinated at government schools or in indoctrination centers, as I call them. And even, uh, I'd say, uber-liberal uh, uh, Matt Damon, the movie star, he did a, I think it was on YouTube, caught. he was talking about the problem problem that we're, we're dealing with, and I think he was referencing uh, Howard Zinn's 1970s speech, the problem is not uh, civil disobedience. The problem is civil obedience. We've been way too obedient to people who, in want, who want to enslave us. Yeah, I think that is a very, very crucial point to bring up because you're saying civil obedience. I'm almost thinking that, Robert, it borders on complete complacency sure yeah that plays it plays a huge role in it, complacency because it's like eh, it's too it's easier to just be obedient right if i gotta yeah. do something that somebody says is not you know you're gonna have to deal with the consequences somebody might talk bad about you or or worst case scenario you feel like the authorities are coming to get me i'll be put on a list somewhere but if you're not on a list uh at this point by government you're not doing something right yeah, I was going to say, I know you and I are definitely on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hope it's on, on Santa's good, not naughty list. But we'll, yeah, I think we figured that out a long time ago. But I guess that's the issue here in 2016. Will there be more obedience through fear, or will we wake up through the fear that they will try to throw at all of us uh, and say, no, we're throwing that fear off. That's not ours. That's not our burden to bear anymore. And we're yeah, going to be better examples for our kids. I think that's a very important message, but I think even more important than that, Robert, is mm -hmm. to remember that when you take action because you're motivated by fear, you are by definition wrong, mm -hmm. and that we should never allow actions to be dictated by fear. We should always take the road less traveled because the opposite of fear, people think, is courage. It's not courage. It's love. opposite of fear is love. Um, cowardness is the opposite of courage. But people, for whatever reason, sometimes think that fear is the opposite of courage, but it's not. Cowardness is opposite of courage. Opposite of fear is love. And so we have to love ourselves and our future generations in order to uh, be able to do the right thing. We have to love enough to mm -hmm. have the courage to do the right thing. And remember that fear, if you're motivated by fear, you by definition are wrong. Well, and, and to reiterate what you said about the story of someone you know, taking care of everybody else but not themselves because they don't have time, uh, that vitamin L has to be focused inwardly first because if you don't love yourself enough to care for yourself, again, we come back to the whole scenario of your intentions may have been right and good, you want to care for people, but your execution of it was 
really poor. And, and ultimately, we got to grow up and go, you know, it just we, we don't have an excuse for that anymore. We got to know better. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's one of those key components, and I think it's an evolutionary uh, component that we as individuals and we as a society have to remember that how can we really say that we love mankind when we are annihilating our you know pediatric population our adolescent population with vaccines and maiming them how can we say that we love uh, the planet earth uh, when we're constantly destroying habitat and you know destroying the amazon jungle how can we say that we love anything and then in the same words, in, 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 while saying those words, we're doing something that's completely contradictory and opposing that by our action. Yeah, are we are we holding love hostage in a sense? Yeah, yeah right? exactly, exactly. It's fascinating. Well, we we'll always enjoy our discussions. It's great, great uh, in between holiday discussion today, Doctor Batar. Appreciate you so very much. And we are now out of time. But again, there's more time to do the things we're talking about here. And if you haven't picked up the book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, that's something that's a gift that will keep on giving for the new year. Or go back and read the copy you have. As you'll, you'll find each time you read it, you'll learn another new thing to uh, uh, implement. So uh, with that, take us out. The power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.